in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And it's good to have everyone this morning. Continue to pray for the Siffords. The Lord watch over them. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask your blessing upon the reading of thy word. And now we ask you, Lord God, to bless the preaching of it. Lord, how I pray that, Father, you would help me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I pray the word of God would become a greater endearment to your people. Lord, I pray that you would help me, that I would decrease, and that Christ would increase, and that you alone would draw men unto you. I pray that, Father, you would open up our eyes to this amazing exhortation. I pray that, Lord, that you'd write it upon our hearts, and I pray that it would affect our entire being. Help it, Father, Lord God, to encourage each one of us individually, but also, Lord, I pray that it would help us as a church, that, Lord, we might bring honor and glory unto God in the church. Father, we ask now you'd bless. We trust in you. And we praise and thank you for all things. In Christ's glorious and wonderful name, amen. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir when I say this, but the Word of God is such an amazing thing. For the more one meditates and ponders its amazing truths, the more one humbly prays for spiritual enlightenment, the more one waits on God, the more one begins to see beyond its first impressions creating in him or her a greater desire to behold more wondrous things out of his law. The psalmist expressed it in Psalm 119, verse 18, when he said, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The psalmist, being David, though his eyes had been enlightened to some degree, knew there were vast treasures in God's Word that he had not yet discovered. Marvelous truths that he had not yet beheld. Mysteries which were yet to be revealed. And so David said, Open thou mine eyes even more, that I may behold wondrous, wondrous things out of thy law. And is my prayer as your brother and as your pastor, that we may, like David, continually pray that God would open our eyes, that we too may behold yet many wondrous things out of His law. And I believe that God has opened up Ephesians chapter 4 to our understanding, and I hope and pray that God would 
enable me this morning to impress upon you what he has dealt with my heart about over the past few weeks, past few days, and I hope and pray that it would encourage and inspire all of us to be more like Christ, but to heed the exhortations of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that our lingering long in this text has not been in vain, but I pray the Spirit of God has blessed our lingering in order that we might behold more wondrous things out of Paul's exhortation to love and unity amongst believers. It's it's amazing the more you spend on the Word of God. If we would just learn the virtue of waiting upon God, praying and meditating, running over and over in our hearts and our minds the Word of God, we would come much further into His truths. We would discover the depths of His truths in a greater degree. For many times we're quick to just simply read through God's Word, not spending the time to wait on God and ponder and pray and meditate. God, give us the spirit of Psalm 1, that we might meditate day and night in the Word of God. Verse 31 and 32, again I read, and I might be repetitive a little bit this morning, so please bear with me. But let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. As I pondered this text, actually the entire chapter, but especially these last two verses of chapter 4, it dawned on me that these words of exhortation are unlike any other exhortation ever given by the Apostle Paul. They're unique in themselves. For though they are stern, yet they have a divine element of the utmost gentleness and compassion, which is in keeping with the beginning of the words of exhortation in verse 20. Let me read them together for you. Verse 20 says, But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one. You notice the sternness and yet the gentleness and compassion of Paul's reasoning here? It's completely different than any other exhortation Paul ever pinned down in any of his epistles. It's unique of itself. Paul's argument or exhortation why the believers at Ephesus should put off the old man and put on the new man is not abrasive or harsh, but one of reasoning. It's almost as Paul is reasoning with these believers. This is what I, you want to, if you've learned of Christ, if you've heard Him, if you've been taught of Him, then put these things away. It's almost as Paul is reasoning with them in his exhortation. Paul was well known for his great ability to reason, and then not from his own ideas and opinions, but out of Scripture. Look at Acts chapter 17. I really hope and pray that we get what the Apostle Paul is doing in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, because I hope and pray would help us as well when we deal with others about Scripture truths, that we would learn this virtue of reasoning. Not always combative or argumentative, but reasoning. Look at Acts chapter 17 in verse 2. Look what Paul did here. 
It says here, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of Scripture. He reasoned with them out of Scripture. Three days. Now, reasoning is a whole lot different than being argumentative or combative. It's taking Scripture, it's laying it out logically, it's laying it out in detail, and it's reasoning with your listeners. It's also being able to hear, to listen. It's almost like a two-sided coin when you reason with someone. You reason with them, they give you an argument, a point, you reason back. He did that out of Scripture. The problem with many Christians is they don't know Scripture well enough to reason with others about scriptural truths. Paul says, or it says distinctly here, he reasoned with them out of Scripture. Paul knew the Scriptures. He knew how to rightly divide the Scriptures. He knew how to answer them. He knew how to also rebuttal them when they said something that was contrary to Scripture. He knew Scripture. He reasoned with them for three days. Look at Acts chapter 18. I just want you to get the sense of this. Acts chapter 18 and verse 4. Again, Paul here. He says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And watch, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. How did he persuade them? He reasoned with them out of Scripture. Please pay heed to what we're listening to here. Look in verse 19 of the same chapter. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself entered in the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Over in chapter 24 of Acts, verse 25. Why is this important? I'll get to that in a minute. Acts chapter 24, verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have convenient season. I will call for thee. But he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. He reasoned with Felix. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He reasoned for three days. Where or how? Out of Scripture. Beloved, such reasoning or wisdom is what the Scripture calls from above. And why is this important? Because we are living in a day and age where there is a lot of false doctrine in the world. I think we all agree to that. A lot of false teaching. A lot of people that are being deceived. And our goal, if we possess the truth, is to be able to advance that truth, be able to reach others with the truth, not simply to win an argument. Our desire is that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. And the Scripture is very clear on how we present that truth. Therefore, such reasoning or wisdom is what the Bible calls from above. Remember in James, for it is first pure. He said yesterday about the Word of God being pure. In Psalms, for it is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. That means persuadable, not argumentative. It's easily entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That would be amazing if more Christians would reason with people out of Scripture in those spirits or passions. That we might truly understand and believe that such wisdom from above... Beloved, accomplishes and achieves much more in the advancement of the truths of God than the wrath, anger, and arguments of men. We live in a generation today where men who possess the truth, and I'm, I'm not talking about 
false believers. I'm talking about, I believe, to be true believers. They possess the truth, but it's with a two-edged sword constantly. It's a constant, cutting, argumentative, combative thing. Paul here in Ephesians almost seems to be reasoning with these, uh, these, these believers at Ephesus. You haven't learned Christ this way. You haven't heard of him this way. You've been taught of Christ this way. If you have, then put these things away. Don't entertain them. Put them away from you. If you've learned of Christ. He's reasoning with them. We would get much further in the advancement of God's truth if we knew more about reasoning out of Scripture than being combative because of our own convictions and of our own opinions. To reason out of Scripture and not out of selfish pride and arrogancy of any knowledge of Scripture we might possess, beloved, is the greatest evidence that we've truly learned of Christ. Listen to me. Let me say that again. To reason out of Scripture and not out of a selfish pride and arrogancy of any knowledge of Scripture we might possess, I believe is the greatest evidence that we've truly learned of Christ. Paul says that here. If you've learned of Christ, put these things away. You've truly learned of Christ. Let me give you a Scripture for that. That fits that. Matthew chapter 11. Did not the Lord say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me? Paul said, if you've learned of Christ, learn of me. Why? For I am meek and lowly. And so in this, his exhortation to Christian unity and love, the Apostle Paul would firmly, yet gently, exhort those who have truly learned Christ to put away such evil passions, while being kind one another, tender-hearted, forgiving another one, even as God for Christ. He said, put these things away while being kind to one another, tender-hearted. He's reasoning with them. Which proves, I believe, and listen to me closely, which proves, I believe, that the Apostle Paul's exhortation is primarily intended for those who have learned Christ, who have been taught by Him. That is, those who possess a certain spiritual maturity in themselves. He's not speaking primarily to babes in Christ, those who are unskilled in the word of righteousness. I believe he's speaking to those who are spiritually mature. He's reasoning. You can reason with an adult. You ever tried reasoning with a child? That's what the world's trying to do, and they're losing ground quickly. He's reasoning with them. He's talking to those who've learned, who've heard, who've been taught. So that immediately tells me he's not primarily exhorting the babes in Christ. He's primarily exhorting those who are spiritually mature. If you've learned Christ, if you're a mature Christian, then put these things away. You should know better than that. Basically what he's doing. He speaks not as unto children or babes in Christ, but as, as to those who have both learned Christ and the evil of such passions. Listen to this. Verse 20 and 21, he said, You've learned of Christ. If you've learned of Christ, heard him and taught, taught of him. Now watch verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let it be put away from you. He's not talking to babes in Christ that are unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's talking to those who possess a certain spiritual maturity. You've learned of Christ. You know better than that. Don't we tell our children that when they do something that was wrong or sinful and maybe ignorant at times? We say, you know better than that. 
You're older than that. You know better than that. Don't act like a child. Paul's doing the same thing here. He's talking to those. Have you ever attempted to teach a child to control or put away such passions? You can't. A child is more than often led or controlled by their passions, not by reasoning. But adults shouldn't be, especially Christian, matured Christians shouldn't be. They should know better. He's talking to somebody who's, who's acquainted with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, who knows something of his destruction. He's not talking about those who haven't learned themselves yet, nor of Christ, because actually we actually need to have a balance to that. We need to know of Christ, but we also need to know of our own hearts. He's talking to people who know of these things. So it's not babes in Christ. It's mature Christians. You know better than that. You know what bitterness can do. You know what, you know what anger can do. You know what wrath can do. You know what evil speaking can do. So put it away. You're aware of these dangers. You're aware of these passions that exist within your heart. You've been acquainted with them, but you've also learned of Christ. So put them away. You see what I'm saying? Let me prove my point with Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Children are led by passions, not by reasoning. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 1, listen to what Paul says. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Well, why does he make that statement? He said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it. You can't bear it. Neither yet now are you able. Why does he say that? For are you not carnal? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? You see there? They were being controlled by their passions. Paul says, I can't speak to you because you're not controlled by reasoning or scripture. I've got to give you milk because you're not able to bear this because you allow your passions to lead you, to control you. You're his children. You're his babes. Your beloved brother or sister who is captive to their own passions prove only their spiritual immaturity. And I know that we all, at times, fail in that. None of us are perfect. But if we give in to our passions, it just proves we're spiritually immature. For we allow our own corrupt passions to lead us and not the wisdom which comes from above. So Paul says, put these things away. You know better than that. You've learned of Christ. You've been, you've heard him. You've been taught of Christ. So put him away. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says, "He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls." So that's why I say this exhortation of Paul is unique in itself because he's stern and yet he's reasoning with them. Let all these vile passions, verse 31, be put away from you. Don't entertain them. Take them away. You know better than that. You know what I find interesting about this is in Romans 8 and Colossians 3, 
The scriptures are members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil consequence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, must be mortified through the Spirit. Romans 8, Colossians 3. These things must be mortified, mortified through the Spirit. John Owens has a good work on that. People who don't believe in progressive sanctification, I think, I believe, rest scripture to their own hurt. But we have many out there who do. Mortify these things, Paul says in Romans and Colossians. Yet here in our text, listen to this. This is what I mean by meditating upon God's word. Let it sink in. Think about it. Here in our text, when Paul speaks of these evil passions or these vile passions, Paul exhorts us to put them away. Now, of course, you'd think, well, okay, they need to be mortified. He doesn't use mortify. Don't mortify them, like fornication, evil consequence, covetousness, idolatry. Here he says, put them away. Do not entertain them. Take them away from you. Because Paul is saying, it is because you've learned of Christ that you're enabled by him to put them away. Don't entertain them. Be an adult. Beloved, this is what we need to learn as believers, to practice and to understand that if we've truly learned of Christ, and if he's truly taught us, we're enabled by his Spirit, because he uses grieving the Spirit in the verses before this, we're enabled by the Spirit to put these things away. This is where I have a hard time believing those who don't believe in progressive sanctification. That we're all sanctified, doesn't matter what happens, no matter what we do, we're sanctified already to the, to the utmost, and it doesn't matter if we sin or do that or whatever, we're already sanctified, there's no such thing as progressive sanctification. How do you deal with this scripture? What do you do with this one? They take it and they put it in a category and say, well, that's not really what he intends to say. How do you deal with this when Paul says, put it away? So it's important for us to understand that oftentimes it's, if not more so than other than, than what we believe, reasoning out of Scripture is the best way to advance the truths of God. Reasoning out of Scripture. Knowing your Scripture. Study Scripture. Learn what it is to rightly divide Scripture. Learn what it is to sit down and reason with other people out of Scripture. Being argumentative and combative all the time is not the key and solution. People profess to be contending for the faith and they're actually being contentious for the faith. There's a difference between contending and contentious. Paul reasoned and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. God give us grace to learn more of that virtue of reasoning. And the second thing, he's talking to mature Christians. And I'll, I'll bring this all together when I bring this down to an end, but this is important. Because I believe it's the responsibility of older, mature Christians to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in the church. We should be setting an example to the younger believers of what unity is and not being divided over every little small thing there is to divide and not support or encourage schisms and divisions, but we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit as a, in the bond of peace as an example to those who are younger and yet led by their passions. We should teach them by example. You don't let your passions lead you.
These are believers that have learned of Christ and learned of themselves. They've been taught of Christ, and yet they know something about their own corruption in their own heart. They've experienced these things. They know these things. Something like what John Owens professed one time, and I might not say it perfectly, but he said something to this extent. He said, I, I confess, the more I, I, I know, the more I know I know less. <laughs> That's how he said it, the more I know I know less. It's true. First John says something to the extent that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. You notice how he puts the blood of Jesus Christ in with our walking with Christ? Why? Because Christ is light, pure light, perfect. And the closer we get to Christ, the more we realize the need of having his blood to cover our sins, the more we realize how corrupt we are. That's why it's in one sentence. Walk in light as he is in light. And a fellowship with one another and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Why? The closer we walk with Christ, the more we are revealed how much we need the blood of Christ. So Paul's talking to mature Christians here. But allow me this morning, because I do want to get to verse 31. Allow me this morning to, in closing, to briefly identify each of these vile passions so as to be able to quickly put them away. When we sense their presence in our hearts and our minds, we have to be able to identify them and know what they are. So allow me to briefly, briefly describe them, okay? So that we, and I'm sure we probably all profess to know what they mean, but just so that we can understand them better, identify them more clear, okay? Let all bitterness. Bitterness, and I'm going to use a lot of dictionary definitions, but bitterness means not only biting and cutting speech, but also Irritable temperament. That's what bitterness is, which places a man in an attitude of constant antagonism with his fellow. That's what bitterness is. It's cutting speech. You ever been in debate with somebody about Scripture and they begin to be very cutting? Very demeaning in their words? To me, that proves they're unstable in Scripture and very immature. They're not convinced of what they believe in. People tend to be very defensive if they're unsure of what they believe in. But that's what bitterness is. It places man in constant antagonism with his fellow man. It argues one of love and consideration of others. And the effects are it spoils our own comfort when we're bitter. It excites others to hatred. And it destroys any influence we have for good when we're bitter. The Hebrews chapter 12. I'll show you this. Hebrews chapter 12. Bitterness is a bad thing. We need to know and be able to identify it so that when it rises up in our hearts and our minds, we can quickly put it away. Put it away. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, trouble you, watch it, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You see how it defiles others? It troubles us and defiles others. What's he talking about? The context is peace with all men and holiness. Peace with all men. Don't be bitter. Because it not only, he says here, troubles you, but it defiles many others. Bitterness is... Contagious. So let us be careful of this evil passion. Let's not entertain it. 
when it comes up, let us put it away. Very quickly, wrath. I think most of us know what wrath is. It suggests the fierce mental excitement that springs out of bitterness. It is a fruit of bitterness. We become bitter and then we become wrathful. It's a fever in the heart. A wrathful man. Proverbs has a lot to say about a wrathful man. Flee from a wrathful man. Don't. Why? Because a wrathful man is blinded to reason. He's, he's just simply out for wrath. You ever met somebody like that? You ever known somebody like that? That they just totally lost to wrath? There's no talking to a man full of wrath. You can't get through to him. Wrath is a very dangerous thing. Be careful that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God, James says. What are you talking about? He's talking about speech in that, in that, in that context, speech. You can mad all you want to, but your wrath isn't going to work the righteousness of God. You can try to make your point, but when you, as soon as you become wrathful in your arguments, in your defense of what you confess or believe, then you've already lost it. You can't have dialogue with a man that's wrathful or bitter. It's impossible. So put it away. When you see it, put it away. Anger. You think wrath and anger is the same, but they're not. This is a more settled habit of the spirit, being angry. Okay? There is an anger that's lawful. I think we've looked at that before when we was looking up in the verses up uh, before this one here. There is an anger that's lawful if it's holy and righteous and all that. It's good. But there is an anger that is altogether as sinful. And Paul says, put it away. Because wrath is accompanied with hatred. Wrath breaks out into curses. Psalm 106 says, we suddenly begin cursing. Remember when Peter got mad when the woman asked him if he knew Christ? And he began cursing, the Bible says. He got mad. We don't know what he said, but the Bible does refer to him using a language that was anything but pleasant. Why? He got mad. He got angry. Be careful of anger. That's, that slips in more often than probably any of these, is that anger, because we, we tend quickly sometimes. Sometimes it rises up so quickly we don't even know it's happened until it's happened, and then we've all been there. Know what it is. Be able to identify it. Like John Owens talks about sin, we should seek to uproot it from the roots, not just cut off the fruits of it, but from the very roots. So if we can identify these evil passions, these vile passions, if we know them, we can sense them, we know ourselves. It's just like uh, something to the idea of what Dave said about yesterday. He said, I knew I wasn't feeling well. We can all verify that. When we're getting sick, our body tells us we're going, something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm getting, we can sense it. It's the same thing. If we've learned of Christ, if we're walking the Christian life, if we're doing what we need to do as Christians, beloved, we sense these evil passions rising up. That's when we have to put them away. It's almost like Paul in Romans 7. He said, when I would do good, I found evil was present. How did he know evil was present when he was trying to do good? And anger is excited by the wrong done to ourselves rather than by the dishonor done to God. We're not worried anymore about God's honor. We're worried about us receiving dishonor. It's selfish. That's anger. Clamor. That's a good word. Not used very much in English language today. But it's actually loud shouting and uproar. It's a tumult. It's a raising of your voice. It's 
screaming, it's shouting. It's the cry of strife, it's noisy, it's impetuous brawling. It's what the, the dictionary calls impetuous brawling, I like that. Which gives outlet to the dark hostility within. That's what clamor is, it's a loud voice, it's just screaming, it's a shouting, it's a cry of strife. Paul said, don't do that, put it away from you. Those things are bad. Evil speaking. I think we can all understand what that is. It's speech which wounds the reputation of others. I could sit here for a while on this one. In 35 years of being a minister, being in the spotlight, preaching God's word, you do become an object of people's disgruntlements, disappointments. Every Christian is if you try to live for Christ. Don't misunderstand me, but believe me, if you're, you're, you're put in the front and you're proclaiming the truth of God, it's easy for those in the congregation to find fault. Evil speaking is bad. It wounds the reputation. never ruined the reputation of somebody else. If you can all at all hinder that, People's reputations and characters are ruined by slander. Christians should be of the utmost care that they do nothing, nothing to ruin somebody's character or reputation. German, see, you have so many of egal. Regardless of what others might have done to us, never seek, never ever seek to revenge that by ruining somebody's reputation or character. That is most unchristian life. And listen to me. I know a lot of people hear this and probably condemn me for this, but I mean, even if even if they hold to something that's false, there's no reason to ruin the reputation or character of somebody simply because you disagree with them. Love covers a multitude of sins. If a brother sins against you, go to him yourself. Why? Well, the emphasis is that you don't want everybody else to know. You want to try to keep that amongst yourself. You don't want to exploit it. You don't want to show everybody that. So go to him yourself. If you don't listen, take another brother. You still haven't told the multitude. You still haven't told the church until they're so sinful and unrepentant that you have to take it to the church. But even that is for their reconciliation. It's not to slander them or their reputation or their character. It's that they might repent and turn back. That's the goal of every correction. It's an outrage alike upon truth and charity. It's not good. Don't evil evil speaking. God save us from the evil tongue. Look at he look at James about the tongue. When he talks about the tongue, how wicked and vile it is. And when when we have a let me just put this thought in there. When we have a a, a bad thought about someone, when we have a thought about someone else. When it remains in our minds, it's between us and God. And we can deal with it. And we should deal with it. But as soon as we speak it out, you can't take it back. The damage is done. I had one individual asked me years ago in Germany because they said something very, very 
something that wounded somebody's reputation and character. And they tried to go to that individual and apologize, and they were sincere. And, you know, the brother did forgive him, but the brother kind of bored against him, you could tell. And the brother that did the offending came to me and said, you know, I asked him to forgive me. He should be forgiving me. I said, you're right, he should. He should be forgiving him. I said, but on one side, you can't really blame him because you're the one that caused the damage. If he chooses not to forgive you, that's between him and God. But on the one side, you can't you can't blame him if you're sincere and honest with yourself because you did the damaging. In other words, it's a scar you have to bear. Yes, people should forgive. But let me tell you something. We carry the consequences of sinful actions in this life. We do. God forgave David. But the sword never left David's house. And if Christians understood that, we would be more cautious about things like this. I have seen more Christians damaged by other Christians than they have ever been damaged by the world. The words of Christians to other Christians when they're wrong or evil, spoken, they cut deep. And they leave scars that have hindered a lot of Christians in their growth. Please be careful about evil speaking. Malice. He says here, he says, put away from you with all, not with all, put away all strength. He's saying, put these things away from you and all malice is what he means. And all malice, that spitefulness. He's not saying, put these these things away with all anger. He's saying, no, and and put away this. He's kind of like saying, and all malice, with all malice, put it away. It's spitefulness, it's vindictiveness. Put them away. All these things in verse 31 you can find in the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. It's the works of the flesh. And they are opposite of the graces of the Spirit of which Paul speaks. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Completely opposite. And they are inconsistent, dearly beloved, with the worthy walk, verse 1 and 2, which belongs to the vocation which we're called to. They're unworthy of these things. Are, that's why I wanted to go through them word by word and kind of describe them a little bit so that we can identify them as soon as they rise up. We can put them away. We can put them away. Let me close with this thought. Many, unfortunately, many unprofessing believers or like the bully in the schoolyard. I I think everybody had a bully at one time or other in school. I know I did. His name was James. Never forget him. But many professing believers are like the bullies in the schoolyard who set out to prove he's the strongest. These Christians are quick to rise any argument against anyone who may differ from their opinion. First thing they want to do is argue. Be combative. And though they may possess an abundance of knowledge, their defense, which they bring to defend their convictions, are often irrational, argumentative, combative, and always, always, listen to me, always demeaning and degrading toward those who may differ from them. Mark that. 
Because if you run into somebody like that, there's no holding of a decent dialogue. We need to use wisdom when reasoning with others. And there are many out there today, unfortunately, we see it abundantly on internet and everywhere. There are those that pick and choose certain doctrines simply for argument's sake. They post them simply for argument's sake. You know what that is? That is a great abuse of God's Word, if you ask me. God's Word was never intended for that. Well, I'm going to put this out here because people are opposed to it, and I'm just going to show them. I believe in this, and it's very argument. That's To me, that's a great abuse of God. That's not how we're supposed to contend for the faith. These people abuse the Word of God. Why? Because they're not putting away these vile passions. There's a little bit of all of these in that. Therefore, Paul says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Beloved, Paul is reasoning with these believers at Ephesus. He wants them to know, if you've truly learned of Christ, if you've heard Him, if you've been taught of Him, and you know yourself, you know the, you know the, the destruction of these passions, you, you, you've known your own heart, you couldn't have known your own heart, your own corruptions, you know what they are, then put them away. He doesn't say mortify them. Just put them away. Be mature. Good be child. Put them away. We followers of God as dear children. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Those are the virtues which maintain, preserve, and keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, I remind you of, of what I said earlier <clears throat> in closing. From what I get from this portion of Scripture, Paul is addressing primarily spiritually mature believers, saying it's your responsibility, your obligation, your privilege, and your blessing to be an example to the younger believers, if you've learned Christ and been taught of him, that you put off this old man, put on the new man, and that you do these things that you might be an example to you. Because unity and love amongst the brethren are going to be greatly dependent on how the older Christians conduct their walk. Be an example to them. Don't let your passions lead you. Let Christ teach us how we, ought to, uh, how we ought to walk, how we ought to talk. And beloved, I'm telling you, I really do believe that the points Paul is making in Ephesians 4, this, this is a long chapter. This is the greatest chapter on Christian unity and love you'll find in the Scriptures. And Paul, if you read through it again, Paul, if you look at it, Paul is stern, yet he's gentle and full of compassion. He's He's, he's, he's talking to them. He's, he's reasoning with them. If you have, then do this. If you have this, then do that. Why? Because he believes them to be mature Christians. Walk worthy of your vocation, wherewith we've been called, with all lowliness, long-suffering and meekness, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on and said, this is why you should. Wonderful passage of Scripture, wonderful chapter. May God give us grace to walk in the light of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the practicality it brings. It not only enlightens us on the great things of God, 
And Father, it also shows us the practical applications if we've truly learned of Christ. My Father, I pray that you would forgive us of the many times that we've fallen short and we've given in and entertained these passions too often. Help us, Father Lord, now that we've heard it from thy word, help us to know these vile passions, to identify them. And Lord, whenever they rise up in our hearts and our minds, give us the grace. Give us the grace, we pray, to put them away. And Lord, one of the greatest ways of putting them away is cultivating kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Help us, dear God, to contend for the faith. Never shy away from uh, contending for the faith or fighting the good fight. But Father, I pray that we do it in a manner which is glorifying to God. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Help us, dear God, we pray, to maintain that divine balance of being able to fight the good fight of faith. And at the same time, being able to reason out of Scripture to others why we believe what we believe, that we might glorify Thee. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.